going to uh, turn again to John's Gospel, uh, chapter 1. Uh, John's Gospel, uh, chapter 1. And I want to draw your attention to uh, some verses from the verse number 6. Verse number 6 of John, uh, chapter 1. And the Word of God says there, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world." Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his precious word this evening. Let us unite together in prayer, and let us seek the help of God as we come to consider his word this evening. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank thee for thy word. We thank thee for thy truth. We rejoice that we can sing concerning the bread of life. And we pray tonight that Thou would be pleased to break the bread of life to us, that we would have that heavenly manna, and that Thou would feed our souls. O God, Thou would challenge us and convict us. Thou would apply Thy Word to our hearts. And Father, we think of those outside of Christ who have this great spiritual need of salvation. We pray that Thou would speak to them this evening. Convict them by thy Spirit. Draw them to Christ, the one who is that light of which we have just read. Father, give us help this evening, we pray. Thou knowest the help we need, not only to preach, but to hear, to listen to thy precious Word. And may thy Spirit be pleased to come and to apply that Word to our hearts. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. The psalmist in the second psalm wrote these words, and he said, Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. And what that psalm is simply stating is the fact that the heathen in this world, those outside of Christ, those who are against God, are declaring that they will stand against God. And there's no doubt that in our generation we see the outworking of this particular psalm. We witness this on a daily basis, the rulers of this world standing against God and boldly declaring that they will live and that they will rule without any thought of Him. And as a result of such thinking and actions, we see a great dearth and a spiritual barrenness across the world. And we think of many of the Western nations a society that in some ways had many good principles and godly laws over the centuries, a society that had a strong godly influence over the years, 
You only need to look at the history of the United Kingdom from the time of the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, or consider the United States of America and the early Presbyterians who came and planted churches and served God in that particular land. Many good principles, a great godly influence, but a society that has turned its back on the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a spiritual darkness over the land. In Isaiah chapter 9, the verse 2, is speaking of the land of Israel prior to the coming of Christ. It refers to the people that walked in darkness. It spoke of those that dwell in the land of the shadow of death. And then speaking of Christ, uh, the prophet says, they have seen a great light. Upon them, these people who lived in darkness, the light has shined upon them. And as the people of God, we often cry unto him with the prayer of the psalmist, Will thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? But often when it comes to the supernatural outpouring of the power of God, the Lord fulfilling His will, the Lord sending revival, how often can we be filled with unbelief? And our reading in John 1 has the context of unbelief. Not merely unbelief in Israel, not merely unbelief concerning Christ being the Messiah sent from God, but personal unbelief. And reading John 1, you may say, well, where is that? I don't see the word unbelief. I don't certainly see anything to do with personal unbelief. But we see in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And John had a father called Zacharias. And if you turn back to Luke chapter 1 and the verse, uh, the verse 12... Verses 12 to 17, and then verses 18 to 20. Uh, you see Zacharias in view in Luke chapter 1, the verse 12. And the angel appears to Zacharias, a godly man, a servant of the Lord. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Verse 13, But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And then moving on uh, to the verse 18, as Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. In other words, this is impossible. This can't happen. Zacharias was filled here with unbelief. And what does the angel say? The angel says in verse 20, Behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And Zacharias lost the ability to speak as a sign that these things were true, but also as a judgment for his own belief. And this belief, this unbelief, was not found in a nation. It was not found in a church. It was found in an individual who served the Lord in the temple. Dear believer, this evening, may unbelief concerning the plan and the power of God not be found within our hearts. May we not have unbelief concerning what God can do and the power of God being outpoured upon His church and upon our nation. And so the nation of Israel was in great need. 
And our land is in great need. That has not changed. And I want us to consider this evening in the Lord's will the great need of this generation. There's a contrast here with John's generation in John 1. The great need of this generation. And what is the great need of this generation? And there are four thoughts I want to leave with you this evening. And firstly, the first need is a man who is godly. A man who is godly. Why does our nation need a man who is godly? Surely our nation needs to uh, be cleaned spiritually. It needs to be uh, washed, as it were. There needs to be this cleansing. Uh, there needs to be some great thing taking place. Why do we need a man who is godly? Well, we see the contrast with John chapter 1, the verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And there's a big change here because in the opening verses, John the apostle is speaking of Christ. He is the Word that was in the beginning. He is the uncreated one. He is the one who made all things. In him is life. And verse and number 6 tells us it changes the subject entirely and says there's a man sent from God, not an uncreated being, not someone who is the Son of God, not someone divine, a simple man sent from God whose name was John. And surely, speaking about Christ in such a way, the eternal Son of God, and then suddenly it changes to just a simple man, a mere man. There had been silence for around 400 years in Israel, and now, as we saw in Luke 1, God speaks through His angel. And God speaks to Elizabeth, to Zacharias, to Mary, to Joseph. And we can think of this, the account of the incarnation of Christ, outlining to them the birth of John and the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, and the Word of God tells us, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Not Elijah specifically, but one like unto Elijah, to prepare the way of the Lord, to prepare for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ and the birth of John the Baptist was prophesied then in Scripture. And biblical history shows us time and time again how God works through men and how men have been raised up by God to minister His Word and to lead His people. And the great need this generation has is men who are godly. Men who are godly. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll come back to that in a moment, uh, but we see in 1 Timothy 3 that, again, verse 1, a man is in view. A man is in view. Now, what I've said already in certain parts of Christianity today, I've said enough to start a major theological debate on one of the hot subjects. How dare you only use the word man. Surely women preach too. Well, what does Scripture teach us? Scripture teaches us about men. Men 
who in 1 Timothy 3 desired the office of a bishop. In the context of what we're reading, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The elders of the New Testament church uh, were men. I don't want to focus too much upon this, uh, but uh, our denomination is a Reformed denomination holding to the principles of Scripture. The Westminster Confession of Faith, we do not permit female office bearers because of the teaching of Scripture. And that is a hot topic within Christianity today. And there are many. I remember in Northern Ireland, a conservative Presbyterian minister. Not all Presbyterians are conservative, hence the term conservative. He was in a denomination that on the whole is liberal, and he refused to associate himself with another Presbyterian church in the local town like he had been doing year after year after year for a special service uh, because their new pastor uh, was a woman. It made the newspapers. It caused much debate. It is certainly a hot topic today and has been for many, many decades. But let me say this regarding the subject— the great need of, a man, of the generation today is a man. Men who are preachers, that's the point we're getting to eventually in this sermon. But when we think of the ladies within the church of Christ, because men have that office of an elder, of a bishop as it's translated here in the authorized, of a pastor, does that mean they are to trample upon the ladies within the congregation? No, certainly not. Does that mean that the ladies in the congregation have no real use or their use pales into, into insignificance? No. Scripture teaches us men in the roles of oversight, but yet the Scripture shows us the valuable asset that ladies are within the context of the church of Christ. And of course, not all men are called to serve in such offices either. When we think of Lydia in Acts chapter 16, the convert by the riverside in Philippi, she was of much help to Paul and Silas in their labors for Christ. Scripture says nothing of her standing and preaching alongside them, but she took them into her home. She offered them hospitality and accommodation and supported in that particular way their labor. Paul speaks of Priscilla in Romans 16 as a helper in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 16, he speaks of her as one who, alongside her husband, had a church within her home. Acts chapter 18 speaks of Priscilla again uh, with her husband who uh, took a certain Jew named Apollos. Apollos who was an eloquent man, mighty in the Scriptures. He was a man who preached, uh, but yet his preaching was lacking because he only knew the baptism of John. Aquila and Priscilla heard him. They took him into their home. They expounded unto them him the way of God more perfectly. He listened, and his ministry was changed, and the blessing of God was upon it. And she was certainly instrumental alongside her husband. But Apollos humbled himself. He took heed. And there's a lesson for us who are men. The ladies may not enter the pulpit and preach, but there is much that we can learn. Sometimes they may have more experience Sometimes they may be closer to the Lord than us. Sometimes they may see something that is wrong that nobody else sees. And in God's grace, we are helped. I say that not merely because it might happen, 
But from experience, it has happened. It has happened. We are the family of God working together. We have our different roles within the church of Christ and within the family of God. We all labor together. And while, uh, as uh, we're considering here, a godly man leading eventually in the sermon to a man who was a preacher, that does not mean that there is nothing here for those who are ladies to consider and to apply to yourselves. There is much that you can do to serve the Lord. There is much uh, that uh, we can learn from one another. And as a denomination, we are blessed uh, for many years with those who are ladies who've went out to the mission field to serve the Lord. There's always a work to be done. There are many doors of service, many doors of service. When I was a young child in one of our Christian schools in Northern Ireland, I think every teacher within that particular school uh, was female apart from one. And, of course, in my early Christian days, there was much to be learned. And it was those uh, teachers who were responsible for a large majority of my early, uh, my early learning as a young believer. But here in John chapter 1, God sent a man. And in Second, First Timothy chapter 3, it speaks about a man desiring the office of a bishop, that of an elder, a pastor. It says, if he desires this, he desireth a good work. And Paul then moves on, and he says, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. It then speaks that he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And here we have Paul outlining to Timothy the qualifications of an office spur, an elder, a pastor within the church of Christ. It is an honorable office. But notice with me some of these qualifications. This is not what a believer should exhibit once they become an elder or become a pastor, but rather this is how every believer should conduct themselves. The overseers should be selected from those believers who are such. And this list, quite simply, and I see it as this, it's, quite, it's a simple list of what should be basic Christian conduct. It is not a list that says, if you become an elder, you must be this. It is a list of simple Christian conduct. And yes, the elder, the pastor, the office bearer, it speaks about the deacons later on, should be these things. But it is not something that you become once you achieve that office. It's something you already are because it's basic Christian conduct. Basic Christian conduct. Surely every believer must be blameless without reproach. Surely every believer 
the husband of one wife or the wife of one husband in the sense of there is no polygamy, there are no affairs, there is righteous morality present within the bond of marriage. Given to hospitality, good behavior, vigilance, sober, apt to teach. Many things here that are basic Christian behavior. When we think of the great need of our nation being a man that is godly, then we have here a list of really what godliness is, of what godliness is. Turn with me to Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says much about the godly man. Psalm 1 speaks, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, they're different. But notice this portrayal of the godly man. He who does not walk in the way of the wicked is blessed, is blessed. The Hebrew term refers to happiness. A man who is happy, a man who walks after the commandments of the Lord is a blessed and a happy man. And his delight is in the law of the Lord. This man does not seek the advice or counsel of the ungodly. He is one who is separated from sinners. He does not treat his God with contempt, but with love. He loves the law, the word of his God. He is communion and fellowship with his God. He is one who prospers because of his God and brings forth fruit because of his God. Oh, the blessed picture here of the godly man. We can think of Joseph. Uh, Joseph, who was blessed by God and was a godly man. We can think of David, blessed by God. And why were these men godly men? Because of God, because of his working within their lives, because of Christ, the Savior who was the great example for us. We are only godly because of him. We are only fruitful because of him. Spiritual prosperity is found in him alone. And what our nation needs, what our generation needs, is men, and we can extend that to women as well. Our nation needs godly individuals who are not ashamed of Christ, who live for Christ, who in the workplace or in the family live for the Lord Jesus Christ. They are examples to him. And we see here John the Baptist, a man sent from God whose name was John. He was a man whose life speaks to us of godliness. And we see secondly then, a man who believes the truth of God. A man who believes the truth of God. John the Baptist certainly believed the truth of God. Notice with me verse uh, number 15. 
It says, John bore witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I speak. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And verse 29, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And very simply, John believed who Christ is. He saw him as the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. He saw him as the blessed Son of God. He saw him as the Savior of sinners. He came as a witness to bear witness, to testify of Christ, the glorious Savior, but to speak of Christ, to witness for Christ. Firstly, the truth of God must be believed. How can you be a true witness if you don't believe your witness statement? How can you stand in court and say, well, when this incident happened, such and such took place, and you write it and sign it, but you know within your heart it did not happen that way? It's not a true statement. John here is speaking the truth. He knew. He believed. His parents believed. Proverbs tells us, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. John was born into a godly family. And what an example that would have been to him and parents. Leading your children in the ways of God is a great example for them. Teach them the truth of God, buy the truth, and sell it not. Our nation has a great need of men who believe in the truth of God. Not men who believe partly in the truth of God, but all that truth. All that truth. Too many pulpits are filled with men who are not prepared to stand upon the truth of God, who water it down, who are afraid to tell people what the Scriptures of truth really say. I remember at school, uh, the uh, Presbyterian moderator uh, came to our school assembly. That might be a strange thing to do in Canada. Uh, the moderator for Presbyterian church coming to a school assembly, a public school. Uh, but uh, things are different. There's a, a religious Christian influence, especially uh, in the Anglican church, the Presbyterian church, uh, regarding uh, many local schools. And he came. It wasn't assembly. It was a prize giving. I was getting a prize. That's why I was there. Uh, otherwise, I might have uh, taken the day off school and uh, maybe thought in my mind I was sick or something like that, uh, so I wouldn't have to uh, go. Uh, but I was getting a prize, so I had to go. And I remember listening to what he had to say. I was a young teenager, uh, 13, 14, 15 years of age, and uh, the moderator stood up. I was interested uh, because of my own faith of what he had to say. And he spoke about uh, this strange universe where uh, people lived and they had uh, chains uh, on their feet connected to this, this ball, uh, like uh, somebody in prison. They have to carry this massive metal ball and a chain around their leg to stop them escaping. And how this young boy went into the forest and was able to take it off, and he ran about and he jumped, and then he put it back on and went about uh, his normal business, his normal school life. And then he finished. And at the end of it, I, what was that about? There was nothing there. Nothing there. What an opportunity for a moderator of a Presbyterian church to say something about Christ. I don't think he even used the name Christ. 
What a wasted opportunity. And reading about him in later years, certainly it should have been no surprise. What an opportunity wasted. There are men who do not preach the truth because they do not fully believe the truth themselves. John was one who believed. He believed who Christ was. What our land does not need is men who have no idea what they believe, no idea what the truth of God says. They stand up each week and have nothing to say because there is a problem in their faith because they do not truly believe the gospel of Christ. They do not believe the Word of God. They do not believe it is the Word of God. They do not truly believe that we are all sinners. I was, uh, I was reading earlier about another uh, man in Northern Ireland who uh, some years ago, it was in old sermon notes I had, and he Around the time I prepared this sermon, I read this in the newspaper. It was an interview and how he went into the Presbyterian ministry and how he preached for a while. And now he went into another line of work, but he was interviewed. And he denied hell. He, de- he denied uh, the gospel. He denied that men are saved through Christ alone, by repentance and by faith. Denied everything. Denied it all. How sad that is. We need to pray for godly men. We need to pray for men who believe the truth of God, who are not ashamed of it, who are not ashamed of it. And then thirdly, I want you to see uh, that this generation has a great need of a man who is called by God. A man or men who are called by God. Coming back to John uh, chapter 1, notice what it says. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. John was sent for a purpose. Born into this world for a purpose, called by God for a purpose. The disciples were called to leave their employment and called to leave fishing, to be fishers of men. There was a calling a calling. It can be a hard and a difficult thing. Uh, Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, and here we have Isaiah's call, verse 8, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? There's this great need. And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people. Go and tell this people. Isaiah was called by God to go forth to tell this, these, this people. The call of God is not a feeling. It's not a desire. It's something strongly impressed upon the heart, something that many are reluctant to see through. But yet, God calls. God calls. And our generation has a need of men who are called by God, not men who appoint themselves, not men who go forth on their own, but men who are called by God to go forth and serve Him. John was 
called and sent for a purpose, for a purpose. Dear believer, this evening, let me say this. Our land has a great need. Our generation has a great need. Let us pray for men who are godly, men who believe the truth of God, men who are called by God, not pretenders, but men called by God, knowing the call of God to go forth to serve Him. A man who is called by God. Then fourthly, notice that there is a great need for a man to preach the Word of God. This is the whole point of what we have here. Our generation needs a man, men to preach the Word of God. The Lord Jesus Christ came into this world, and as we see in John 1, there was darkness. But the light shineth in the darkness. Christ is the light of the world. And in verse 7, we see John, who came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He came for a purpose to bring the Word of God, to be a witness, to testify of that light, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was called to preach. He was called to preach. And if we look at our generation, that is what is clearly needed, preachers preaching. Not entertainers, not, as we said this morning, drama or whatever it might be, but men who are unashamed of the gospel of Christ. That is what Paul said. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth. He was not ashamed. He was called to preach. He was called to set forth the word of God. I want you to turn to First Corinthians chapter one. First Corinthians chapter one. I remember on many occasions standing on the street in regard to the work of the church and starting to preach and being with groups of young people and other men, and we stood and we preached. There is nothing that brings more scorn and mockery. I remember one elderly lady walked past one time, and I was preaching, and as she spoke to some of the other individuals, she was not happy at the preaching of the gospel. Not happy. Others mock, others laugh, others scorn. What are you doing? And as we see here in 1 Corinthians at chapter 1, the world views preaching as foolishness. Foolishness. Verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. It's a foolish thing we're doing tonight. It's a foolish thing we do every week according to this world. But unto them which are saved, Paul says, it is the power of God. It is God's appointed means to send forth his word. John was called by God to preach the truth of God. 
And our generation needs men and individuals who will preach the Word of God, who are not ashamed, who do not believe with the thinking of the world that the preaching of the cross is foolishness, but rather it is the power of God. Unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And what do we preach? In verse 18, we see that those who are saved see preaching as the power of God. The gospel is preached. The gospel is preached. How the Lord Jesus Christ, moving back to uh, John uh, chapter 1, how the Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world. This world is in darkness, but He is its light. He is the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Verse 9, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into this world. And this generation, this world needs the light of the gospel of Christ. And maybe this evening as we gather here, you're in need of that light because you're in darkness, spiritual darkness. Christ is not your Savior. Christ is not your Lord. Christ is not your Lord. You're living in sin. You're living in iniquity. You're living in darkness. No hope, no peace for your soul. Christ is not your light. Christ is not your Savior. Oh, that you would listen to the message of John, that Christ is that true light, that he would shine forth the light of the glorious gospel into your heart, that he would save you, that he would redeem you, that you would turn from sin and see the power of Christ to save sinners. How can we be godly? How can we serve the Lord? How can we live for Him in this world? Well, we can't because we're in darkness. We need His light, first of all. We need His salvation. We need His salvation. And that salvation does not come from being born into a Christian home. If it were so, I would never have needed to repent and trust in Christ because it's already done. comes from repentance, from faith in believing in Jesus Christ alone, taking Him as your personal Savior, seeing your great need of Him, He who is the light of the world, and believing that He truly is the Savior of sinners, not resting in the faith of friends or your family or your parents or your brothers and sisters. I said before, I'll say again, I've known many and they've lived through their teens believing that all is well because their family's saved. Therefore, they must be saved. Therefore, because they attend church, all is good. But the Lord spoke to them and convicted them that they needed to repent themselves and to look unto Christ, He who is the light of the world. And that is the message that our generation needs to hear light, the light of Christ. And John was to be a witness of that light. He was to testify of that light. It is the Greek word from which we get the English word martyr. And ultimately, those who died for their faith were martyrs or witnesses 
for Christ. We need those who are prepared to preach the Word of God to be witnesses for Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 and the verse 23 says, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is to be the subject of preaching. Christ is to be preached in all his fullness. Gospel ministry, and that can't be emphasized strongly enough, is all about Christ and all about the gospel. Preaching him, bearing witness to him, and John was called to preach Christ. But it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. What happened to John the Baptist? Well, John was fearless. John was fearless. But turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. And this is another aspect of those who are called to preach in this generation. There must be a fear of God, but not a fear of man. For here in Matthew chapter 14, we have Herod. Herod and Herod, we see in verse 3, had laid hold on John, and had bound him, and put him into prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. In other words, Herod had sin within his life. John the Baptist, the man of God, the preacher of the truth, had turned and said, This is not lawful. This is wrong. This is sin. And Herod used his power and put him into prison. And then eventually, he was beheaded. We have that in Matthew uh, chapter 14. He was fearless for Christ, fearless for the truth. And that is what we need today, men who are not afraid, not afraid, men who are not spiritual cowards, men who are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, men who are not afraid to speak the truth and to preach the word in season and out of season, men who, if we uh, turn to uh, Jeremiah chapter 1 and see the call of Jeremiah, men who are, verse 8 of Jeremiah 1, not afraid of their faces. Why? For I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord." Men who will pull down and destroy and to throw down, to build, to plant, as verse 10 says. Oh, that we would have that today. Such men to stand for God and righteousness in our land. Oh, that we would have godly men. Men who are called by God, men who believe the truth of God, men to preach the Word of God. Men who are not afraid to preach the truth of God in wisdom. Is that something that we desire? Is that something that we're praying for? That is something the land of Israel needed, not only in this occasion, but time and time again throughout its history. Prophets to preach the truth of God. 
Something our land needs, our world needs. But do we care? Do we care? Are we praying to that end, that God would raise up preachers, God would raise up men who believe His truth to preach His Word? Is that something that is on your heart, something you're praying for, dear believer, that there would be men raised up? Yes, we can look and think, well, look at this nation, and look at its sin, and look at its wickedness. This is not going to change. There's a spirit of unbelief. Let us look to Christ. Let us pray for preachers. Preachers. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 is as we close. The Savior saw the multitudes, the end of that chapter, verse 36. There was no shepherd. And he said, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Whether this nation changes for Christ or changes not, that is God's business. Our business is to pray that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Our business is to stand for him to proclaim His Word, to support those who proclaim His Word, to pray for them, to hold high the gospel banner, to stand for King Jesus and His gospel. And the rest is God's business. Let us pray to that end. Let us pray that God will send forth men Maybe there's a challenge on your heart to be one of those men, to be one of those servants of the Lord, to go forth into his harvest field with the message of the gospel. Seek the Lord. Don't hide, don't run from his calling like Jonah. Seek him. But may the Lord bless his word tonight, and may the Lord give us that desire to serve him, to pray for men because that is what our nation needs. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, who proclaimed that Christ is the light that shines forth through the darkness. May the Lord be pleased to send men across this world who are not ashamed of Christ and who will bring forth that preaching of gospel light into our world of darkness. May the Lord bless his word tonight for his name's sake. Amen. And let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank thee for thy word this evening. And we thank thee for the preaching of the gospel, that mandate that we have. And we thank thee that in thy will, we can all serve thee. We can all bring forth that gospel light where thou hast placed us. But we pray, Father, for what our generation needs, men of God who are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, men of God who are called to be preachers of the Word. Father, this land needs them, this world needs such men. And we pray to that end that Thou would be pleased to raise up preachers, to raise up servants of Thine who, like men of old, are not ashamed of thy truth, are not afraid of the faces of men. 
because their trust is in the Lord, the one who can deliver them. Father, uh, we pray uh, that, like John the Baptist heralding in the coming of gospel light in Christ, uh, that there will be those who will stand forth heralding the gospel light that is found in Christ. And we pray, O God, that Thou would speak to each one of us, challenge us to pray uh, for such servants, challenge us to be those servants, challenge us to support uh, Thy servants, challenge us to be sure that we are Thy servants by trusting in the glorious light of this world, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray Thou would draw near to us, bless us this week, for thy honor and glory. Give us opportunities to shine forth gospel light. And Father, may Christ be glorified. We pray now that the love of God our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit would rest, remain, and abide with us, both now and forevermore. Amen.